In this episode, we may have used a few words that you don't quite want in your children's vocabulary yet. You've been warned. Sorry, Mom. I am surprised all the time that I'm in meetings where people are saying, no, we want it to be more about, like, girls and their friendships and why they're different. And, you know, the boys will just watch it. They, they don't worry about it. That never happened. Like, two years ago, I'd never heard that. It was, the girls are going to watch anything that's good, so how are you going to entertain the boys? I think back to when we were searching the library for one book that makes sense, one voice that can say to you, like, I get you, little one, it's going to be okay. And now it can be in the movies, and it can be on TV, and it can be in on YouTube, and it can be your secret, or it can be the biggest story in the world saying, like, it's okay. Just hang in there. Welcome to She Does Podcast. I'm Elaine Sheldon. And I'm Sarah Ginsberg. And today we have Pamela Ribbon on the show. She's a TV writer, screenwriter, and best-selling novelist. Her work is often comedic, and so is her life. I don't know how many lawns could be mowed during this drought. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> they're always mowing, and they're just closer and closer. We have no lawn for them to mow, so they just come and blow. It's <laughs> just outside the windows, 8, 8 a.m. every day. Who knows why? Hey, you know, they're doing their, they're doing their job. Just going through the motions. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think even after, like, the earthquake, the first thing that'll come out is just... <laughs> Everyone stay calm. Bricks. <laughs> just blowing bricks to the side of the road. And then see this, like, water and power thing pulled up. It just becomes a comedy. I walked out there this morning and I said, hey, I'm going to do a podcast here. Is this going to be a problem? So I've been, like, trying to soundproof this whole room and the marching band arrives in half an hour don't worry about it it's gonna be fine pamela's been in comedy rooms for both network and cable television she's the author of four novels including why girls are weird and you take it from here and a new memoir, Notes to Boys, which NPR called brain-breakingly funny. Her novel, Why Moms Are Weird, landed Pamela's writing in the Oxford English Dictionary to define muffin top. Which is slang for a roll of flesh which hangs visibly over a person's, especially a woman's, tight-fitting waistband. She's developed original series and features for ABC, ABC Family, Warner Brothers, Disney Channel, and 20th Century Fox Productions. She recently finished working on a feature for Walt Disney Animation Studios that will be released next year. We're not allowed to tell you the name, but rest assured, it's a biggie. She's currently writing for Sony Pictures Animation on an upcoming feature. Same deal. No name, but it's an exciting film. The day we visited Pamela in L.A., she was about to start that new gig at Sony Pictures Animation. She's wearing a Pac-Man skirt in preparation. Hi, uh, today is the first day I meet the story crew on my new job at Sony Animation, and so I have to put my best nerd face forward. <laughs> this is how you disarm. This is how you disarm nerds and geeks like myself. You just you come at them with your Pac-Man skirt. Nobody else will be wearing that. Nobody else will be wearing They'll that. They'll remember. Them. Yes. And then it'll be like, instead of like eyes up here, it's like eyes down here. So then they look first at the skirt and then they hear the voice, listen to the brain. And then they're like, oh, and there's some boobs. That's how I like to do it. Little, little Peggy, little Joan. It's a nice little adventure. 
Camel says being a woman and being a writer is a great combination right now. She's in demand by studios and for the right reasons. What they are wanting, all of them, I'm offering is a strong female perspective. It's, that's nice that you're not getting hired because they legally need to put a woman in there, but that they actively are looking for something that they are saying, I don't know how to, f I don't know how to tap into this authentically. I definitely get defensive of what a young girl is capable of. And, and when people get kind of dismissive, like, well, she's 16, so she'll just do that. Like that's <laughs> like age and gender doesn't define anyone. They're all different kinds of 16 year olds. Pamela was born in Pennsylvania, but moved every six months or so while growing up. This house we're sitting in is my 29th address. I went to 13 schools. Moving around so much as a kid meant that Pamela found her friends in the books she read and the stories she wrote. But some of those books weren't really kid-friendly. My parents didn't know what, I started reading very young and they didn't know what to do with me because I'd read all the Beverly Clearies before I was five and they were just like, I don't know, this is called Pet Cemetery. It has animals in it and <laughs> we, I don't know. And uh, so I read a lot of Stephen King at too young of an age. They <laughs> And then they gave me Lord of the Flies and I was like, I'm so scared. <laughs> when I found young adult fiction, they would get really nervous about Judy Bloom when they would read you know, some of Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Like, this talks about periods. No, you cannot read this book. And I was like, Pet Cemetery has a handjob in it. Like, <laughs> I don't understand what I'm supposed to know and not know. My dad wanted to be a writer. Uh, there was a period of time that he was unemployed and he was writing short stories and he had a writer's digest and he was sending stuff off to playboy and cat fancy <laughs> so his stories uh, varied i would be in my room doing the same thing like i'd have my own writer's digest and i'd write my own little short stories and i didn't think of it as being a writer it was the same thing as if you're playing school which i played all the time too and when did comedy come into play was like comedy always a part of your life were you watching it growing up like was your family uh, funny. Was my family funny? Yeah. Well, my, my dad was funny, but he was a tough crowd. And so he did not think I was funny ever. My dad wanted me to be a lawyer. And my mom wanted me to be a stand-up comic. But uh, so she thought I was funny. I studied comedy a lot. Like I would watch all the stand-ups all night. I had it programmed. I'd go from that show to that show. I don't think I had a realization of it. But in the fourth grade at a new school, there was a boy in front of me who got picked on a lot. And he would turn around and make fun of them to me. Like we were secretly, we secretly knew we were better than everyone else. And it hadn't occurred to me to, to disarm the pain that way. But I remember thinking, this is how you can do it. And then in college, coming out of college, I had a friend ask me to join his comedy troupe or audition for it. And then I was like, what? I do like, I'm not a Shakespearean. I write plays. I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, but I knew I wanted to try it. It did sound like a lot of fun. So I got into that troupe, and then that was that was kind of it. That troupe was called Code Blue. It was the home troupe of the Velveeta Room on 6th Street in Austin, Texas. 
famously called by Janine Garofalo the toughest room in Texas. There are beer bottles being tossed into the trash and the bartender's got a bell that he rings whenever you bomb. And there, there's a guy outside barking to drunks because it's 6th Street, you know, it's like, bring her in and make her grin. <laughs> I, mean, I still hear it in my sleep sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I think I have some trauma. But um, those were the early years of figuring out how to how to keep an audience entertained when they literally, the last thing they want to do is listen to you. I want to know what that feels like to be on stage and like have almost like a ammo that you like know you can, that you have like ready to go. That's the point. Like that's like the, what you do it for, that yeah. feeling. When you can see someone get an audience in the palm of their hand so well that the slightest movement they're making is keeping that laughter going and making new like jokes on top of the joke in a way where you're just like oh my god it went from funny to not funny to now it's even funnier because I'm still like watching Eddie Izzard be able to control an audience with like a fingertip movement like he's so good at keeping everyone with you you can see them working but yet it's effortless and it just seems like that's talent when you don't when you don't feel all the sweat when you don't notice the work anymore and that's so hard to do do you think that's calc some of those like very tiny moves are some of those calculated and repeated or i don't want to pull the magic back (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to tell you about rehearsal i mean no some people are naturally funny right you start to know your thing that makes people laugh like, if you watch The Daily Show, you certainly know. We miss you, Johnny boy. Jon Stewart has some go-to things. And if something isn't working, he's going to go to the thing. And then you bring everybody back. And then that's how you get to try new stuff. David Letterman has a different thing. Like, he's got people on. When he's in an interview, he's got a way of deciding, is it my interview or is it her interview today? That comes from experience and practice. But it also is just, um, I guess there's a level of this kind of comedy that in how much are you letting your audience in and how much are they a part of, of the conversation that you're having? The thing I cause people to do the most is touch their faces in horror while laughing. Like, that they're just like, why? Why is probably the sound they would make the most more than laughter. It's just, why am I still hearing this? I mean, all of Notes to Boys, the the book I wrote that came out last year, is um, based on the notion that I really enjoy taking people from mortification to laughter. I love the sound of shock and horror turning into uncontrollable peals of laughter. Like, that's just... It's the best sound in the world. It, it's a roller coaster of human emotion. <laughs> it's wonderful. Back in Austin, when she was offstage, Pamela was just trying to pay the bills. One of the ways she did this was through writing Japanese anime scripts, matching cartoon mouth movements to words. So it's like one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five. And then she's saying, hello, good morning, who wants tea? And so you're like, does it fit? One, two, hello, one, two, three, good morning, one, two, three, four, five. Do you want some tea? Like, I still know how to do it. That would take forever. I broke so many VCRs. You can look up VCR on the internet. It's a thing we used to use. <laughs> Wait, so 
But was this your job, like how you were making money simultaneous to some your yes. pursuing your passions? Yes, I swear to God, I almost thought you were going to ask me what a VCR was. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yes, at one point out of college, before I moved here, I was working for IBM in tech support, writing for Television Without Pity, writing anime scripts at night, doing uh, improv and sketch comedy four nights a week. And then if I could fit it in, I was also doing a play in town that either I had written or I was just, I just wanted to act. Yeah, I miss that um, energy. (laughs) That was, uh, it was impressive that I could, and I don't think I was really ever feeling tired because it all felt like it was driving toward a purpose. Did you have like an not an end goal, but did you have kind of like a goal of where you wanted to be in mind or were you just kind of testing out a bunch of different things and seeing what kind of took? Um, I think I would have wanted to have been Kristen Wiig, right? If you had asked me and I could see the future, but I didn't know how to do it. I also knew that I wasn't the kind of person who was going to be comfortable going to New York broke and just seeing what I could do. So I kind of was always following where it seemed like I could get a foothold, learn something new, and um, and that it would maybe open a new door. But I'm not a five-year plan or even a two-year plan person because I just feel like that's how you set yourself up for massive disappointment. <laughs> it's so hard to imagine what will happen to you next week. I find myself in jobs where I'm like, well, how did I get in this room? <laughs> what am I going to do today? When something seems hard or that I'm not supposed to do it, that kind of makes me interested in it more. Like I hear you guys talk about your documentaries. I'm like, I just want to make a documentary. Like, how do you do it? I'm so jealous. How do you do it? Like that, I sit here asking you the same question. Like, how do you know it's fun and it's not the hardest thing you've ever done? Because it's both, right? It's fun and impossible. And if anybody asks, should I do this? You're like, no, not if you like anything else. <laughs> do you like Do you like math? <laughs> Do you like to draw buildings? Are you good at driving a bus? Like, what is, if you have any other passion, do it. Because this is hard. It's fun. It's fun because it's what you really, truly, the thing in your heart that needs to happen. The internet's where Pam really found her audience. It was new, and she stumbled across a site called Hissy Fit in the late 90s, which was mostly essays and articles. She sent in her submission, and it was accepted. And they posted it, and then she sent me in the mail uh, an envelope filled with candy and notebooks and barrettes. <laughs> they were Canadian, so they couldn't exactly pay, and they, didn't, they were just starting out too, so they didn't have any money. But I got candy and barrettes and notebooks in the mail, and I was like, ah, I want to do this all the time. <laughs> After Hissy Fit, Pamela wrote for Television Without Pity. It was actually called Mighty Big TV back then, and it was young people writing scathing and often hysterical recaps of teen-friendly primetime shows. From 1999 to 2005, Pamela recapped Get Real, Boomtown, Tarzan, Wonderfalls, Real World, San Francisco, and a few more. Each recap took Pamela 12 hours. And now, you know, everybody knows what a recap is, but at the time, people really couldn't understand why we would write 12 14, 18, 24 word pages on an episode of television. Do you feel like that was sort of your school of writing in a way? Definitely for episodic television, for everybody who recapped, like you just really learned 
how to, first of all, write under a ridiculously quick turnaround, how to know your audience, write towards them, and then understand TV in a different way of what you're expecting and what level of intelligence the TV is, the, the writing is talking to you. And I can't imagine any other school that intends for five years writing every day about um, Gilmore Girls. I mean, that's really what <laughs> this is one of the shows. But now when I pitch TV shows or when I'm writing a, a script that's short, I do think back to recaps because now I, I definitely – and improv too. Like you remember how late can you start the scene you don't want like people walking in and saying hello and sitting. I mean, you guys know. I'm sure when you, when you edit these, you don't usually start with hi. You you start with like, where is it meaty? website and blog since 1998. She was one of the first bloggers, and it only took two or three years to where she was making her living off of it, selling some of the first banner ads and building her audience. People would say things like, who wants to read your just like it's a diary? Who wants to read your diary? It's so big now. It's hard to imagine how how tiny that that little world was. What role has your blog played throughout your life and like what has it led to and um, those types? I guess it led to well, it led to everything, really. If I hadn't started it on GeoCities <laughs> so long ago, I wouldn't have found um, a community to harness and an audience to know who to write to, a very friendly community that was supportive. I wouldn't have figured out how to submit myself for other things. The It, it was a good portfolio. It has gone viral a couple of times. Barbie, she's an iconic American doll with so many versions. Malibu Barbie, Holiday Barbie, but what about incompetent Barbie? One of the most recent times the blog went viral was when Pamela came across a Barbie book made for kids at her friend Helen Jane's house. Pamela happened to have her own copy to share with us. The book is titled Barbie, I Can Be a Computer Engineer. Oh, believe it. Okay, so tell us the first time you saw this and like what your first reaction was. The stickers, <laughs> the stickers are I think in the middle between the two stories. See, you, you hold up, I can be a computer engineer, and as you're reading it, look how dumb you look, because I can be an actress is upside down facing outward. Like I look like I don't know how to read or anything, and then if you're reading, I can be an actress, you're the dumbest computer engineer of all time. Fab girl Barbie, look, she's got glasses. That's uh-huh. how you know. But um, I have nothing, I have no problem with super fashion hot, like this, I want this outfit. Look, look, look at your shoes. You're basically wearing it. Like that is, yeah. Guys, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. The book starts off with Barbie sitting at her laptop eating breakfast. Okay, Sarah, you be Skipper, I'll okay. be Barbie. Got it. Here it goes. Cut and style Barbie, cut her long blonde hair. What are you doing, Barbie? Oh, I'm designing a game that shows kids how computers work. You can make a robot puppy do cute tricks by matching up colored blocks. Your robot puppy is so sweet. Can I play your game? (laughs) I'm only creating the design ideas. I'll need Steven and Brian's help to turn it into a real game. (laughs) 
we'll just sum things up for you guys. Barbie tries to email her designs to Steven, but her screen starts freaking out and blinking. Uh-oh, she's got a virus. She uses her heart-shaped flash drive necklace to back up her designs. And then she puts it on Skipper's computer, only to find out that that flash drive is actually what has the virus. So now, Barbie has broken two computers. Skipper's lost all of her homework, music, and other stuff because of Barbie. And Barbie goes to school where she consults Brian and Steven. But here in this picture, this is where she's um, stepping back so the boys can fix the problem she's made as as her one attempt to be a computer engineer. All right, here we go. After class, Barbie meets with Steven and Brian in the library. Hi, guys, says Barbie. I tried to send you my designs, but I ended up crashing my laptop. And Skipper's, too. I need to get back the lost files and repair both of our laptops. It'll go faster if Brian and I help, offers Steven. Great, says Barbie. Steven, can you hook Skipper's hard drive up to the library's computer? Sure, says Steven. The library computer has excellent security software to protect it. I got Skipper's assignment from the hard drive, exclaims Steven. Fantastic, says Barbie. And her other files as well? I got everything, says Steven. <laughs> now let's retrieve the files from your hard drive. Both laptops will be good as new in no time. Yeah, and then Barbie brings Skipper the computer and is like, look what I did. <laughs> so, oh yeah. What's the lesson there? And the last page is like her getting a good grade. Or yeah, something. I guess I can be a computer engineer, says Barbie happily. No thanks to Brian and Steven. (laughs) I got it. I got it. Uh, Barbie, first of all, it'll go better. It'll go faster if we help. And we got it. Don't stop asking questions. We did it. Jesus. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And so I asked Helen Jane if she'd scan the books that we could write about it because I felt like it needed... I wanted a hashtag and I wanted memes and I just wanted people to know about it because this is a book that a girl could read and not know it doesn't have to be like that. So it became this this thing and yeah, suddenly, you know, it's NPR. It was a question on wait, wait, don't tell me. That was when we were like, we've done it. And Good Morning America came to Helen Jane's house. Hi guys, this is Barbie. Mom Helen Jane Hearn says she was excited to share the book Barbie, I Can Be a Computer Engineer with her two young girls. They weren't interested in me because my kid was too young. I'm not making that up. She was like, oh, your baby doesn't even know about this book. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm not a good enough lady for you. Mattel issued an apology and they did pull the book. And uh, I wish they had decided to rewrite the book. Like you said, who would want a book censored and removed? Nobody wants that. But um, instead of trying to tackle it, they just got rid of it. This is a case where I guess you can say, how do I, how do I make comedy work like I was strategic with this I wrote it on a Wednesday but I waited to post it until Monday I posted it with the tweet internet get ready for your thing to be super pissed off about today I called it Barbie fucks it up again like I knew I knew that if I did this the right way it would go viral very quickly and it it took maybe three hours for my server to break and for it to be hosted on Gizmodo and stuff because I couldn't handle the traffic that's years of learning your audience. What would make me click and what would make me outraged, as, as outraged as I was? Because <laughs> you could do a long dissertation, but nobody's going to read it. And you really have to be able to, you, you have to be able to laugh at it in order to not just do what we did at first, which was, there's nothing we can do about it. This is just the state of things. But if you can get everybody, include people in, on the joke, then often they can be inspired.
also love that most of your work is first, a lot of it is first person, not all of it, but, um, and that's challenging to put yourself out there and to put your stories out there. And that's why I tell other people's stories because I don't want people to know about like me, you know? Um, There's more reasons. And yeah. <laughs> there might be a few more, but it's sure. the only reason. <laughs> don't ask me any questions. I don't even know your name yet. That, the name I told you is not real. Um, the only story I'm directly responsible for is my own. And when I venture into telling someone else's story... I get nervous that it's through my point of view. I think it sounds judgmental even when I'm not trying to be. I learned that probably through Pammy.com the few times that I would try to write about someone else. If you, unless it's like glowing with praise. And even then they're like, well, that part's not true. Or I, you know, I learned sometimes people say, you gave yourself a joke that I said that day. That was me that said that, not you. Or she didn't do that, he did. And you know, when you're rewriting the story for consumption, you you tinker with the truth a little bit. I mean, I'm not I'm not a journalist. <laughs> right. Are there yeah. are there things like you just don't want? I mean, was it hard to write about like your divorce or like are there things in your life that just are more challenging to write about that are personal? Yeah, you know, with the novels, um, each time there's something in it that is about either what I am going through or I just went through, and then. You have to sit with this every time. You just sit with this for years and edit and read it over and over again. And then just think, why did I do this to myself? Why? What is wrong with me? When you have all that inside of you, that's, I mean, that's what you're going to end up writing. It's going to come out in everything. So why not get it out in the in one thing where you can contain it? I find that when I'm really nervous about something and I want to put it in a drawer and 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 I have tried to call and say I've changed my mind let's not publish this please that's when it's ready I often say I just don't want anyone I love or care about to read these things <laughs> because they will um I mean sometimes you can see well they don't know what's fiction and what's not because it's in a novel and it's all fiction but the feelings are often nonfiction and so hold on I've I've hired a I've hired a fleet of helicopters <laughs> and that truck <laughs> what's that sound do you hear like a screaming <laughs> oh man there's also like a wolf dog that lives nearby so I'm sure he'll start any moment he just gets lonely at like 10 o'clock um I'm writing about divorce and where was I Sometimes people think I'm writing about them when I'm not, and they get mad that I have told a secret of theirs, but I didn't know or I wasn't aware of it. I mean, that, that's happened more than once where I'm apologizing. As we've mentioned, Pamela's recently finished working on a script for Disney Animation for a film that'll come out next year, and is now working on another script for Sony Animation for a film that'll come out in 2017. She was also the narration consultant on Bears, a Disney nature movie that came out in the spring of 2014. 
Although she couldn't talk specifics about the film and TV projects she's developing, there's no doubt she's busy. I am surprised all the time that I'm in meetings where people are saying, no, we want it to be more about, like, girls and their friendships and why they're different. And, you know, the boys will just watch it. They, they don't worry about it. That never happened. Like, two years ago, I'd never heard that. It was, the girls are going to watch anything that's good, so how are you going to entertain the boys? And I just love it. I just love it that that now we're looking to make sure that girls know from the beginning that there's nothing different about them. And even if, including what body you're in while you're identifying that you're a girl. Like, I don't know. It's it's so um, encouraging. Like, it gets me weepy. <laughs> because I think, back, I think back to when we were searching the library for one book that makes sense, one voice that can say to you, like, I get you, little one. It's going to be okay. And now I am getting weepy. But now, like, it can be... It can be in the movies, and it can be on TV, and it can be in on YouTube, and it can be your secret, or it can be the biggest story in the world saying, like, it's okay. Just hang in there. <laughs> These ears are hard, and you're not in control of them. And one day, you will be, hopefully. Now we bring you lessons from Pamela Ribbon. Are you ready? Very ready. Take it away, Pamela. It's okay to change your mind. You may have made a huge declaration in front of a lot of people, probably at a Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving at one point about this is who you are and this is what's going to happen and everyone else can fuck off, but you really get to change your mind. You just do it responsibly. Try not to harm other people in the process of, uh, of changing direction. You write every day. You write even when you don't have time, and you write even when you don't want to. When you write, try to remember, try to keep in mind who you're writing to, and that can change. So for each book, I tend to think of a friend that I think would like the book, and I write for that person. Mind your own beeswax, that's what my mom always says to me. But other people's plates look interesting and often look like they're getting more food than you got, and maybe they didn't even des- they didn't even wait in line and they have all that food, but you don't know their story and you don't know how hard it was for them to get to that day or that deadline Hollywood post or that press release or that sensation of the day. Wanting what other people have will never get you what it is you want because you're not spending time finding your own fun. Because it's not fun to be jealous of people and it's such a waste of time because you can't nobody has the same story if there's anything these podcasts show you can take the craziest route and you will if you just sort of follow what what's interesting to you Thanks to Pamela for being on the show. Visit our website to learn more about some of her other projects, like the Dewey Donation System, where she and her audience bought wish lists of books for libraries and schools in need. She's also working on an original graphic novel and a comic book series adapted from one of her pilot scripts. And she's a roller derby gal. What's your name? I'm Make You Holla. <laughs> Number $50. <laughs> That'll be the title of it. Make You Holla. <laughs> I had a number first, I had 140 decibels, which is the threshold of pain. 
But I, so your number's on your back and this girl was like, I think it's really brave you put your weight right up there on your, I was like, we're, n- I'm changing my number immediately. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Oh my God. <laughs> First of all, you're wrong. And secondly, you're so small. <laughs> She's so small. If you didn't get enough of Pamela's voice in this episode, don't worry. You can listen to her new book, Notes with Boys, on Audible. We've got a link on our website. This show is produced by us, Elaine Sheldon. And Sarah Ginsberg. And sound design is by Billy Raraznik. This week's featured music maker is Springtime Carnivore. We have a special interview with Greta Morgan, who's the voice behind Springtime Carnivore, next week. Also, we have some live events coming up. We'll be at Camden International Film Festival in mid-September and Citizen Jane Film Fest in mid-October. These dates and details on what the events actually are, are on our site under the About page. If you don't follow us on Twitter and Facebook, well, first of all, you should. But second of all, you probably don't know that our guest from episode two, Lyric Cabral, needs your help. Lyric and her co-director, David, are raising funds on Kickstarter to pay for legal fees associated with distributing their amazing and important documentary, Terror, which documents an active FBI counterterrorism sting. They have to raise $60,000 in the next few weeks. So if you're feeling generous, consider giving them a dollar or two. Oh, we have one more tidbit from Pamela for our fellow podcasters. Do you guys know about green apples for your mm. podcasts? No. <laughs> Women in particular get clicky and those mouth sounds. Mm-hmm. If you eat a green apple, go for it. Really? Yes, I want to call every podcast and be like, please get your guest yes. <laughs> a green apple. Thanks for listening to She Does. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> apples are so good.